When I think of military kids, I think of resilience. And when I think of resilience, I think of thrivers. And so today's guest is the author of Thrivers, Dr. Michelle Borba. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. I'm very excited today to welcome back Dr. Michelle Borba. She wrote one of my favorite books. I think I've read it three times since it came out in the last two years. Um, Thrivers. And, and I think every parent needs to read it. And as she was just telling me, some teenagers are reading it and I think they should read it too because Sometimes you don't want to actually listen to mom and dad as the expert anymore. You know, it's funny. I just did uh, I just did a Zoom with this. This is the high school, and they've chosen Thrivers as the read aloud. But one of the first questions I was asked by the kids is, why did you write this book for parents and teachers? You should have read that just for us. And I went, oh, right on the mark. I apologize to y'all. Yeah, because there's not like a good book out there for a kid to pick up. Yeah, it was really interesting. And they were struck with the most interesting thing was they were struck with confidence. What is going to help us feel the confidence? We know we're stressed, but we're getting pushed so far away from who we really are that we need to find balance in our lives. And um, one kid asked me, do you think because I love music that that's going to help me? I said, oh, yes, it is. You just find what your passion is. It'll give you your purpose. And that's going to boost your confidence. Plus, because you love it so much, it's going to be your go-to the rest of your life. It'll help you decompress. Absolutely. Just hold on to it. It's a wild ride this life is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that wild ride. That's it. It's unpredictable, right? Like that's the only thing we can predict, especially while I've been raising these three kids in this crazy world, right? The, um, the CDC just came out with a report about a month ago saying that teenagers, especially teen girls are in dire straits for mental health. And while I want to talk about that, one of the reasons I invited you back on was that April is Military Child Appreciation Month. And my, I want to make sure that I talk with you because you have such a great definition of what makes kids resilient. And in the month of April, so many talking heads say military kids are resilient, but, but a lot of parents don't actually know how to teach that. Yeah. I think the first thing is, I I love it. First of all, you have to understand, I am a huge supporter of you. My son was in Iraq. I spent my life on 18 army bases, and I am just passionate, and April is just my favorite time on those bases. Number one is, yeah, resilience is something that is teachable. Our kids aren't hardwired for it. And it means in a pre- unpredictable, I love how you describe the new world. We need to add it to our parenting, but yeah. we don't need to make this too hard. We just need to look at it as, uh, as I was telling the teens today, when they said, what's a resilient kid? I said, they're, they're kids who have a go-to person that when you really are down, who's going to be my caring person? It could be mom or it could be dad, but it could be a coach or a teacher or a grandparent. You need somebody. One it's, caring it's adult. One 
caring champion who refuses to give up on you? Who's your child's caring champion? Yeah, it's you, but who else is out there for you and your child? The second thing is a place. We're finding so many kids don't have a place to go to. Hopefully it's home, but when they walk in, they're so stressed. You're going to see that. You know that, that they need to be able to decompress and breathe. But many kids said it's like the Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. Or it's, uh, you know, it's a youth center down the end of the street, or it's my friend's parents' house. Yeah. Where's the place your child can go to to breathe? And the third thing is, maybe this is our moment to say, so what are the protective buffers that when a challenge hits, your child can say, I got this, mom, because you've been teaching the skill along the way. There's different kind of challenges, Christy. Some <laughs> some kids need to learn how to brainstorm to be able to get through it. Some kids, it's deep, slow breathing. Yeah. Some kids, it's social competence to be able to talk their way through. All of it matters. But that means it's our new roadmap that from birth to whenever, we start slowly teaching these skills so that our kids are able to handle an unpredictable world. Sitting here as a military spouse, I think that I had to learn some of these skills on the fly when Adam did his first deployments. Like I didn't have all these skills as a young 20 adult. Yeah, I saw that for many parents also in on military bases. It was all it was a hard haul of being able to now what do I do? I see they're reframing it now. We've been talking a lot about mm-hmm. how to teach resilience, but it's all it's a catch-up mode and I think the most important thing is it's not your child's temperament. Yeah. It's not your zip code. It's not your child's <laughs> GPA that's going to make the difference. It's a different set of skills that by the way, not only will they help your child be more resilient, They'll also help your child be more prepared to be employed wherever comes his way and better engaged in the classroom. That's the win-win when I chose those seven strengths of resilience. I found, oh my gosh, these aren't just resilience. They're the same ones that make peak performers as well. Can you remind people what your seven are? Oh, yeah. I chose the seven and uh, I chose them because of science. It said these are teachable and they're highly correlated to resilience and they're no particular order. Confidence means I have a strong understanding of my strengths. I can recognize my weaknesses, but I, I'm going to be able to hit my who am I, and that's going to help me the rest of my life. The second one is empathy, being able mm-hmm. to feel with another person or be a we kind of a kid in a very diverse world. Social competence is highly correlated to resilience. Third one is the no-brainer, self-control. Being able to learn some coping strategies so you can self-soothe at age two, as well as 17, as well as 43. You can put the brakes on your impulses. And if you can't, you won't be able to think straight. And that problem is really going to decompress you. Um, Fourth is integrity. It's your values inside your child's brain and heart, because we do know that some kind of resilience is peer pressure or going against the grain so a child can say no and knows what to say no to. The fifth one I adore, and I think it's one of the most important pieces, it's curiosity. I love that one. I lose too. (laughs) When the challenge comes, the kid goes, it's okay, I'll find plan B. Or I'll think of another way. He's a little brainstormer and he doesn't wait for you to solve it for him. He goes, I got this. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. You don't have to raise an Albert Einstein, but you do have to raise a kid who's more open to ideas and possibilities. And then comes perseverance. He doesn't give up. He keeps on going because he knows effort is what's going to make the long haul. Not how smart he is, but how much he works. 
And finally, it's optimism. I've got to hope that the world is going to keep on going and I can talk back to those negative thoughts so I can keep my just my energy alive and my hope alive for the better world. There's so much to unpack in those seven, and I, I just love them all. And as I sit here with kids that are older than the last time I talked to you, it really mm-hmm. strikes a nerve about how these skills grow with kids and how each of these seven skills um meets my kids at a different level each time I talk about them. Each time I open the book, I'm like, oh, okay, this kid needs a little bit more perseverance. But last time they were okay with it. Is that normal? Is that natural? Yes, because here's the piece that we overlook. Environment plays a huge role, environment and experience in perseverance. So your child may be the same kid. You may have the same home, but maybe he's with a different coach. Maybe he's in a different classroom. Maybe all of a sudden he's going through a tougher time of puberty or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything makes a difference. And so it's why we've just got to keep ourselves curious as to what your kids need at this particular moment. Yeah, because they're so tenacious. Like I love, I love these kids that I'm with and I love the friends that come over and the interesting conversations we get to have. But. I just look around and I'm like, wow, if you read just only the headlines about kids these days, you're going to think they're the worst ever. Yeah, it's it's very, very dismal. I I really do think kids need a PR firm (laughs) because they're wonderful human beings. They are they are concerned, so concerned about the world and they do have the answers. Mm -hmm. The most amazing thing is when I was writing Thrivers, I'd look at all the research and the CDC and the medical health units, and then I'd go and do a focus group, and the kid would say, well, this is what we need, and here's how to do it. And they always would go right through with uh, what the science said, for instance, self-control. Yeah. You know, we're the most stressed out generation known to man, you know. (laughs) I said, yeah. I said, well, what do you need? Well, we need some coping strategies, but here's what you guys are doing wrong, meaning the parents. Yeah. What are we doing wrong? Well, You're not giving us a repertoire to choose from. That mindfulness may work for some kids. Mindfulness, meditation works for others. Give us choices. Let us choose what works for us. And then as the other kid said, yeah, but unless we practice it over and over (laughs) again, we'll never be able to do it without you. You don't learn this stuff on a worksheet or a health unit. And that's the whole secret. It's making this simple, choosing what the skill is your kid needs this month and let's be real to ourselves. We're under stress ourselves. Absolutely. One or two or three minutes a day. But if you keep repeating the same yeah. thing, that's how your kid learned to ride the bike without the training wheels. You could do the same thing. And that's how we learn the coping skills. Absolutely. One of the tricks that I learned after the first time I read it was that I sit in my car and when we are about to go on the road, we do a couple deep breaths most of the time, right? Not all the yeah. time, but like yeah. most of the time we take a couple deep breaths or um I started teaching them different ways to breathe. Like you taught block breathing to me, but then we looked yeah. up other shapes. Like you can do triangle breath or yeah. circles and even backstage, like I was helping a kid's theater group and somebody got mad because their costume wasn't fitting right, right? And like tears were starting to come. Aww. So we could take her hand and trace the square and like just help her find that coping skill. And you hear something. I'm just going to give you the bravo. Because the best way to teach a skill to a kid is not to tell it, but to show it. Yeah. So what you're doing is you are modeling it with her. Yeah. She then got it, and now she'll be able to take it with her forever. 
big mistake is thinking it's a lecture or we got to hire another tutor <laughs> or let me go buy that new workbook. When in reality, that's the best. Here's another thing you did right. And that is that old carpool rec- routine. If you want to change a habit or instill a new behavior yeah. in your children or your family, the keys to it is choose the what. That was the breathing. Uh-huh. And use the when and the where. And your carpool is perfect because they're locked in the car with you. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not going to drive. It's okay. We can take a deep breath here. Every single time they get in the carpool, that's where you practice it. And it becomes so simple. You remember it. And um, if you forget, you always have one of your kids go, Mom, remember exactly. we're supposed to do that. <laughs> Yeah, that helps so much. The other thing I think that parents need to give themselves credit for is just thinking out loud more in front of our kids. Oh, yes. Yes. It's a simple, simple strategy, and we undermine our power. And that is our our voice that we say out loud, that, that self-talk that we say. Don't just say it inside your head. Say it out loud so that your kids assume that you're saying inside your head, but in reality, you're saying it so they eavesdrop on your conversation. <laughs> yes. It's sneaky, but then your voice becomes their own inner voice. And after a while, if you keep saying every time you blow it, okay, it's okay. I got this. I'll do it again. And you say the same thing. I got this. I'll do it again. The fascinating thing is lots of kids say, I now say, I got this. I'll do it again. Cause that's what I heard my mom keeps saying. Yeah. And like you can use it for simple things like spilling the milk or knocking over the jar of glitter. We have a phrase at our house that it's like, oh, what a beautiful mess. Instead of just taking, you know, we don't have to respond in a way. We don't have to choose manic. Yeah. I love that because it's how we respond to our children's mistakes also that help them realize that mistakes are part of life. And it's okay. I can rebound. If one of the things that kids tell me is I'm afraid to fail, that's one of the reports are telling us that our kids Mm -hmm. are far more risk adverse, that stress is getting to them. And when I ask them, a lot of them say, I just don't want to disappoint my mom. It's like, oh, gosh, how sad is that? Because we love our kids desperately, but watch your reaction. Yeah. Watch your response so that you can take the breath and say, it's okay, sweetie. In this house, mistakes are part of life. So what are you going to do next time? And if you keep saying, what are you going to do next time? They see the value of the mistake and what an opportunity to keep on learning. I love that. I think I needed to hear that because we've had some rough grades recently. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, kiddo, like this isn't like you. And I don't always respond to them how I know I want to. So any coaching on that? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is you've, you've hit something that I'm seeing I, I almost Uh, at least three times a week, I'm working with another school or doing a Zoom call. And I'm talking to headmasters, directors, and all of them are saying that our kids are not only stressed, but more risk adverse and afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. That stress keeps building. And after a while, their confidence is going. So they're kind of standing on quicksand. And one of the things we do know that's so critical is to when they do make a mistake or that test becomes overwhelming is not look at the whole thing, but instead zero in on. So what's the one little thing you want to do next time? You call it your stumbler. I remember. uh, Let me give you an example. Yeah, please. Uh, Yeah, I had this terrible music teacher named Mr. White when uh, (laughs) her piano. I mean, I hated the guy. I'm just truth be told. And the reason. (laughs) 
before it is he had this policy. You practice and practice and practice like I did at home. And then when you go to do the piece in front of him, if you make one mistake anywhere you are, you got to start all over again. Oh, no. What happened was all I would do was sit there and worry about the mistake. I could be one bar from the end. Start all over again, Michelle. I hated piano. And I was so stressed and thank heavens my mom ta- hired Mrs. Thompson because <laughs> Mrs. Thompson had this whole different philosophy and it's the philosophy for parenting. She'd say, Michelle, let's look at the stumbler. What's the one little thing that's getting in your way? Now let's just practice that one little stumbler over and over. Eh, you're getting better, Michelle. Now start at the beginning. And there went the stress because I'd practice and practiced it. And it's exactly what a good coach does. Yeah. They don't say give up soccer. Oh, they yeah. Say, the video. Oh, it's your foot going that way. They point out the one little thing at a time. There may be 50 things at a time, but let's look at one little thing at a time. Correct the one little thing. That's how you improve better and better. Many of our kids are raising the white flag because they don't know where to start. And they're giving up. Yeah, they really are. And, and these kids, like, I think we're all still taking a deep breath finally three years after the pandemic. Like it's finally yeah. hitting home what yeah. skills are missing and yeah. what skills we're lagging on and all the heaviness that we carried around for so long. Well, here's another point that'll help us all as parents realize there is a predictable on research that when you go through a long period of stress, notice that would be called the pandemic. And yeah, you or a deployment. Right. If we're military, what's coming down the pike next? I mean, there's been a lot of things from weather situations to tornadoes. Uh I'm in a fire evacuation zone. Who knows? If you are dealing with a lot of stress, you automatically have skill regression. Your behavior starts to slide a little back. Your social skills maybe slide a little back. The things that you really haven't practiced and practiced and really gotten to the transfer level so you own it and it's yours, yeah, they'll regress because of lack of practice. And that's your moment as the parent not to go, oh, my gosh, he's just lost five years of his life. No, you go back to where he is right this moment. Yeah. Say, we got this, sweetie. We're just going to go up a notch, up a notch, up a notch. You can't. Take him two years, you know, fast forward. Right. He's not there. You always parent where your child is. It'll come back, but you need to practice those regressed skills because that's what's going to happen when uncertainty hits and stress builds. You don't have the cognitive capacity anymore. You notice we're all a little, <laughs> mm, a little foggy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're a little bit more like sensitive to social situations. Like yes, we, we don't are. have all of that skill. Um, yeah. And, and so too are kids. Cause that's the other thing that, that uh, headmasters and principals are saying the kids are little ones, more socially um, separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was dropping the kindergartner off and now he won't leave me. Uh, social anxiety. Many of the teens are telling yeah. me, I just can't read my friends like I used to anymore. I'm afraid to, I don't know what to say in a situation. So you need a lot more practice on that. They've been wearing masks mm-hmm. or they've been looking at screens yep. or their stress level is high or all the above. <laughs> They just need a little bit more practice to be able to get back on and reboot. Okay. So does that practice look like making sure that your house is the one that the kids come over? What does practice look like? Well, first of all, I'd be coming to your house. (laughs) Your friends, your children's friends come to you. And please, parents, get outside the box. Our kids need safe zones. Make your house be a safe place where there's pizza, there's fun, there's 
phone is in the basket by the door. Come on in and, you know, let's bake some cookies. Kids need you. The second thing is you tune in a little more. Just tune in a little closer to your child. And each kid's going to be different. You've got three kids. I've got three kids. Each one of them is different as night and day. <laughs> Absolutely. Child need. And if it's social skills, you don't make a big thing of now you need to work on your social <laughs> skills. Instead, you kind of be subtle and you go, hey, let's, uh, can you go to um, the grocery store with me? And while you're doing it, remember that show? Uh-huh. Deliberately start waving a little more to people. Deliberately say hello and hi to people. Deliberately look up eye contact, eyeball to eyeball, firmer voice. Just start modeling it because kids will copy you and they need an example to copy. And then just encourage them. Get out the shoots and ladders game for little kids. Get out the chessboard for bigger kids. Start doing face-to-face interactions. Have fun and encourage your your, uh, encourage dad at least once. High five, (laughs) thumbs up. Those are just simple little things that our kids say they're missing right now. It seems so simple, but I think that all of us I know moms, they've they've gotten really used to making their social connections online, just like we're mad at teenagers for doing. Yeah. Not only are we doing it online, now we're looking at our watches. I know. (laughs) There's so many devices. Everything is a device. And I, I think the first thing is parents, we are raising digital natives. I mean, those digital devices are going to be part of our children's childhoods. Yeah. But you don't want to have them rob your relationship or learning the skills that seem to really matter, not just now, but the rest of their lives. The highest correlation right now, we finally have figured this out, says the CDC, to solid mental health is relationships. It's belonging. It's connection. And now we're looking at unbelievable rates, particularly in our girls, of suicidology, depression, anxiety. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And don't say it's not my child. You've got three kids. The research (laughs) is saying it's going to be one of your three. Or it's going to be the neighbor next door. Yeah, it's going to be in your bubble. It's been in our schools, right? Like it's here. Well, the first thing also, we've got to start reaching out and being moms together. We have got to help each other. This is a tough, lonely occupation called parenting. Help each other. If you see something and you're concerned about your daughter's friend, have that conversation. Because very often I hear from moms, I just had no idea. I didn't see those signs in my child. I think that the thing on that one is uh, whenever you are too worried, you're seeing too much of a change in your child that's not normal, that you are seeing it spill over into too many other areas then pick up the phone. You've got great resources just on your base. Yeah. Ask around and ask because it may be nothing, but it may be something that is solvable. You don't want to wait until it's too late. Yeah. And if you're a military connected family, you have military one source that will offer you free yes. counseling. You just have yes. to make the call. And if your kid is over the age of 14, then they can go alone without you with military one source. Yes. I love that. It's a resource that I continuously share and people seem surprised every single time. Well, then say it again because it's so crucial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can I go just- to Military One Source and get free non-medical counseling. You just have to ask. They will do teletherapy or in person depending on what's in your area. There's resources. The DOD helps military families but sometimes these resources get lost because it's a really loud world. 
Yeah, I love that. Put it on a post-it. Put it on your text chain. Put it someplace. <laughs> Share it with someone. It now, mm-hmm. But maybe it's like three weeks from now. Or maybe when another mom comes and says, I don't know where to go, I have the perfect resource for you. Let's start reaching out and just giving each other re- resources. Yeah. And like when my kids got their cell phones, we added the suicide hotline number, right? Yeah. And poison control. Yeah. Like we want to have these conversations and have the resources ready for them. We don't ever want them to use it, but we have to have the conversations. Thank you. Please do. Please, please, parents. <laughs> Talking about suicide won't lead to a kid trying suicide. Isn't that right? Absolutely right. Absolutely. And how wonderful that you're having that conversation and you're opening it up. And if you don't want to get too personal with it, boy, I just read the CDC and I'm seeing <laughs> the warning signs on that. Are you worried about a love it? You can segue. Are you worried about any of your friends? Yeah. Very often they open up by that way. And then you open up. Well, I'm always here for you. If there's ever a concern or your friends have a concern, I'm here. Yeah. And it's the starting of the conversation. I know that some parents, some moms say, I just can't get the conversation going with my daughter. And a mom had the most brilliant idea. She said, I went and bought a journal because my daughter loves to write. But what I did is have one journal between the two of us. Yeah. I write a note and I put it under her pillow. She now writes it back and puts it under my pillow. It's our beginning way to open up because we just couldn't talk face to face. Uh, a dad's got a thing where they do post-its. Yep. They do post-its and they go back and forth. It's the starter point to get it. I, these are going to be tough times. Yeah. But we can always find ways to just keep that openness and that dialogue going because some of our kids are hurting and they really do need the help and they need to know we're there just like we are. We love them. Yeah, we like them. We love them. We like them just the way they are, right? Like we all have that Mr. Fred Rogers song stuck in our heads. (laughs) We need to sing it some more to our kids. Yeah. I know that sometimes we, we say all these things and they just feel like they stop listening sometimes to us too, which is why it's important. You mentioned earlier the coach, the community. A teacher. And we need to not be nervous that our kid is talking to another adult. We need to be thankful. A great question to ask your child. You know, I'm not always here, but if you had a problem, who would you go to at your school? Who's that adult that who's around the neighborhood you'd go to? And if your child can't name one, then that's your time to start brainstorming back and forth, which would be a wonderful concept to do. Lots of simple little things that you can do. Start that as a dialogue. And is there an age that's too young to start talking about this? I know we're talking a lot about teens, but preschool teachers, and it's just a great big balloon. Draw your go-to people. (laughs) It's like absolutely wonderful. And here's the kids going, just my mommy or my daddy, or here's my grandma. Uh Uh-huh. Good. You got grandma there or your babysitter or your nanny. The sad thing is I've seen some kids without anybody in the balloon. And that's when you worry because kids have got to have a sense of connection and a sense of belonging. And we can do that. You know, the other thing is sometimes we don't think we've got the right words. One boy told me the simplest thing. He said, you know, sometimes you guys worry too much about what you say to us. (laughs) Just sit down quietly next to us. Sometimes you don't have to say a thing. If I know you're just sitting there and you're rubbing my back, that's all I need. I just need to know you're there for me. Yeah, I call that my potted plant parenting move. 
like as I as I lean into these fifteen and sixteen teen years, right? Like I just want to be yeah. a potted plant around them. Like, can I just be yeah. in the same space and rub a back yeah. or bring a snack? <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. And you also, you know, the other thing that's really simple that we overlook is look at watch when the kid comes home. Because that's the most stressed out time they are. And the thing they hate more than anything is, how was your day? (laughs) They said it's generic. (laughs) Don't ask. Wait until they can breathe a little bit. And then find yourself on the place where kids are most likely to open up. It's usually in my house. It was 5 o'clock around the refrigerator. And that's where I just find myself and plant myself. You don't have to say a thing. Uh, Kids very often, boys in particular, are more likely to talk doing something. Playing basketball together, riding the bike together, little ones doing Legos together. Yeah, It's more relaxing for them. So just find some ways to just open up and find those those moments. And if it doesn't come now, it will. Yeah, I've been really leaning into those family walks, right? Like even with headlamps on when it gets dark, I've got my hat here. I can show Dr. Borba, right? Like you just got (laughs) to embrace the what works for your kid. Like my son and I will go on a 20 minute walk every day. And it's amazing. Sometimes I have no clue what he's actually talking about because it's about video games or people that I haven't met or chess strategy, which I have no understanding of, but but he's talking. (laughs) That's you have found the go-to. The other thing that's fascinating is that kids and particularly boys are saying those walks are one of the best ways to decompress. So I, I think at this point, too, a great question to ask yourself is to just watch each of your kids and say, do they have a healthy way to decompress? And it makes no difference what it is. But we find when I was researching resilience that one of the best studies was Emmy Werner, who looked at a cohort of hundreds of children who are growing up in some very difficult times. She yeah. studied the same kids for 40 years. Wow. And she was blown away that by teens, despite adversity in their homes, many of them were bouncing back. And she looked at how could that be? She kept thinking it was going to be some highfalutin, really difficult thing. <laughs> and she said, no, it's hobbies. Many of them had a simple go-to hobby. It could be knitting. It could be baking. It could be walking. It could be whatever chess it could be a book but the the danger is when a child doesn't have a go-to one of the things you can do and you go oh my gosh my kid doesn't have anything you start introducing hobbies as a family and you start watching what does your kid resonate to what does seems to be related to maybe you don't have the ability to teach knitting right you can get great aunt hattie on the zoom and go hey would you teach us all how to knit and watch your child your girlfriend next door maybe you discovered that your daughter loves yoga and you suck at it so then you go can you help my daughter learn with your daughter maybe we can do it as a group and i can do now you've got a built-in all of you together Find something healthy for your child to decompress. The fascinating thing is the number one time our kids are most likely to drop out of school and a freshman year, first semester of college. Wow. Harvard, Yale, all the Ivy League presidents said, and usually it's because the kid comes with the great grade point, but doesn't know how to handle the first B plus and doesn't have something healthy to go to, to learn how to just decompress. So this is your time to start introducing simple little things. They may, it doesn't mean the big, by the way, it's going to be the expert in it. That's not it. That's not the point here. I love what uh, some parents are doing is 
And I think the kids, each kid, put together a calm down corner in your own room. Mm -hmm. It could be on your bed for a little critter. It's finding your stuffed animal. Exactly. As you get older, it's you love that book. Then make sure you always have a book by your nightstand. Yeah. You love whatever it is. Um, I've got a, a Natalie. I just have to tell you, I love her. I was doing focus groups with kids and here's this 14 year old girl who should have been stressed to the max and she wasn't. And I kept saying, Natalie, how the heck are you decompressing and handling your stress? She said, Oh, I listened to Mozart. I said, Natalie, <laughs> wasn't what I was prepared for. How did you figure out Mozart helps you decompress? Yeah. She said, was my mother. She got really sneaky during COVID. She kept playing different music over a loudspeaker system. Every time Mozart would come on, I'd realize, wow, it's really helping me breathe better. So I loaded my iPad up with Mozart. That's my go-to. Okay. So that's my sneaky breakfast strategy every morning, uh, Michelle, is that I play classical Baroque music at 60 beats per minute. Um, So it's really slow and calm every morning to start our day. (laughs) That is perfect. Many teachers are doing the same thing. They're also turning off the lights first thing in the morning. So yeah, I only light a candle and I don't don't turn on the overhead lights because it's Perfect. like, I was like, ah, this is all too much. <laughs> it is too much. And that is wonderful. What you watch is carefully. Are there places in your house that your kid can take the slow, deep breaths? And how wonderful that you've already set the tone because here's the other thing. Once you set that up, you're actually modeling for your child that they can use that same strategy the rest of their life. Hey, that, that candle and that music really helped me. Yeah, that's good to know. And I think that's the thing that with hobbies right now, I think a lot of adults don't have good hobbies. Exactly. And how fun it would be to do a hobby with another girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Put together a mom's group and go, let's start doing some hobbies together. And then once you discover what the hobbies are, hey, can you teach my daughter that? Can you teach my son that? Let's just partner up together because it really does help us. This is not something you're going to excel in and worry that your hobby is going to give you the A+. Yeah, you don't have to turn it into an Etsy store. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's one thing. I I love uh, Ann Manston's work. She's another researcher on resilience. She found that when she studied kids, I mean, kids in war zones, kids yeah. who were extreme poverty, children with sexual abuse, how uh. did they, some of them endure and get back? She said it was ordinary things that made extraordinary differences in their lives. They found things like one child, it was prayer, and that's what she used over and over again. One kid, it was the meditation. That's what she used over and over again. What's your child's go-to? Maybe yeah. that's your this month, what you watch and start introducing to your kids. And if you're listening to this thinking like, oh, but I don't have any of these go-tos, you get to go have fun. Like yes. we have a corner set up, right? We've got, I've got my singing bowl here. I have um a visual timer with like liquid that does droops and we just kind of breathe until it all drops down. There's all sorts of ways. You can Google this stuff and or you can make your own and it's not hard. But if you practice it, you'll notice that you actually like parenting better because yeah. you'll have more margin. Well, oh, I love that. The other thing what you'll do is You'll be able to, this is the key, so get ready, respond to your child as opposed to react. Yeah. And your relationship will be so much calmer. The next thing is, as a family, you're learning this together. And what's really cool is that very often it's our kids who are teaching us some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
there's no right or wrong to this. It's finding what works for each member. I mean, glitter jars work for some kids. Yep. Uh, Thrivers, if you go to self-control, that chapter three, yeah. there's at least, I think, 45 different calm oh, down every strategies. chapter. So if you have not picked up Thrivers, every chapter has tangible activities from like toddlers to high schoolers. And really, they're all ages because you're a mom. You can adapt. Yeah. And um, they're, it's such a good book to just randomly open up and say, hey, for the next two months, read it slowly and only focus on one thing. Don't try yeah. to read the book like like you're cramming for a test. Thrivers, that's why I keep picking it back up. It's because oh, thank you for that. One mom said the best way that she's learned how to read that book is that she keeps a post-it with her and she just picks it up and her goal is to go through it and find one thing. Yeah. And she closes it with the post-it on it the moment she finds the one thing. And that's what she commits to doing two minutes a day with her family until her kids can do it without her. Then she picks it up and tries the next and the next. These are skills. Resilience is not something. Please, moms, this is not something you teach tomorrow. This <laughs> no. is something you teach as a roadmap the rest of your parenting career. It's We're a lifetime. Adding and adding and adding on based on where our kids are at. What's the moment and what do they need now in this moment to be the best they can be? So what's a resilient skill that you've added recently? Oh, I'm going back to baking. Yay. I discovered that, yeah, all, my mom used to do it with me and I remember how wonderful it was the other thing is, I don't know if it's the baking that I like or looking at picture cookbooks. <laughs> oh, that's it. But it's just flipping it. And what happens is you discover my brain is off of everything else. And yeah. I found the place to get my brain just charged into that thing. You, it's just your go-to thing. And it doesn't mean you have to you know, be the gourmet. It just means find what works for you at that moment. I love that. That's, yeah, like I feel relaxed just thinking about flipping through a cookbook. Yeah. Yeah, those Betty Crocker ones were the ones I loved. They had pictures. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You got to have a cookbook with pictures. I, I need to know what I'm trying to aim for. <laughs> yeah, but just fun things. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. I have two last oh. questions for you. Yeah. First one is kind of like this resilience skill question is what are you doing for self-care? What am I doing for self-care? I'm uh, doing a lot more walks. I bought myself a treadmill that was cheap at a used <laughs> sale and flirted into the bathroom. That seems to help me. Um, we've had a lot of uh, weather issues here where I live, so you couldn't go outside for yeah. a while. And uh, that seems to really help. At books, there is nothing better than getting into a good book. I just finished reading uh, Lessons in Chemistry. It has nothing to do with chemistry. <laughs> it's it's I'm on the wait list. I can't get a oh, hold of it at the library. <laughs> you will read it and go, I don't know who this woman is, but it's just like fiction at its best. You just enjoy it. Um, I just love good fiction where I, I, I finish the book, and I will admit it. I usually finish a fiction book and if I love it, I can't remember what I just read, but it <laughs> held my, it held my attention span for so long because usually I end up reading hardcore research and I just oh, want yeah. to get out of it and read something else. And yeah, yeah that's that's awesome. When we moved to um, this Washington DC area about a year ago, I joined two book clubs and, to read fiction books and to make, you know, build the community. And yes. it's so much fun to read fiction and then talk about it with other people. Here's a little point. One of the highest correlations of ways that we can boost our own empathy yeah. as moms is read literary fiction. 
it actually research says will if you can get into the shoes of the character. I am not talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. So <laughs> that's not, that's not the All the light you cannot see or bell yeah. You end up remembering the scenes. And if you can talk about that with another, you know, another mom, yeah. oh my gosh, how glorious is that? Same with our, with our kids reading literary fiction. That's why they love wonder. That's why oh, they yeah. love Harry Potter because they can get into the shoes of the characters. You're more likely to empathize with those like you. So watch what your children yep. are reading. Try to mix it up. Different genders, different races, mm-hmm. different cultures. That's wonderful. You'll be raising wee kids who also enjoy just listening to books. Or here's another thing you can do that's real easy. Yeah. Put a sheet over a dining room table and make it into a reading court. <laughs> Every night, go under it with the dogs, the kids, and the pillows, and the flashlights, and just read together. It's just a wonderful memory. It doesn't work so well with teens, but it's great for little ones. Yeah, but with teens, you can still like light yeah. some candles. We set a different vibe, yeah. right? We've got LED exactly. lights around the living room. <laughs> You got to embrace it. And last one kind of goes with that four is, do you have an idea for a family that feels tapped out and how to have fun? You know, the the thing about it, I find that I'm just reading a bunch on creativity and they find that one of the easiest things to do is just get out the old game boards or get out just pencils and crayons. Yeah. Just don't make it so that it has to be a particular project at the end. Let's just enjoy it together. Ask your kids, what are your best memories that you had when you were a kid? Oh, that's a great idea. Let's see, Carol, what we can do with pipe cleaners tonight. Yeah. I think we overlook the fun stuff. Mud, sand, and dirt, sandbox. Oh, yeah. Childhood's supposed to be messy. Let's embrace it. Messy stuff is really good for our brains right now. It's a great way to just de-stress you know, that's what we need to do. Just enjoy each other's company. Yeah. I need to go get the giant roll of paper we had in yeah. Georgia. We had it covered like the tablecloth was just rolls of paper for a long time during the pandemic. Um That is fabulous with just colored markers. Yeah. Just whatever. Like I left a container right in the middle of the table. It felt like going to a restaurant, right? And exactly. uh, we just and doodled and for some kids who don't want to share their day, draw your day. One yeah. of the funniest parts that happened about your day. You'll have a memory that is wonderful. Oh, yeah. there. I need to go do that again. Thank you. Well, thank you, you so much. Everyone should go pick up Thrivers. I cannot believe that it's two years old. And um, where else should they find you? On the internet well, or in person? That. Yeah, my my website's michelleborba.com. I'm a 1L Michelle and Borba rhymes with Zorba. There's a <laughs> lot of, um, by the way, I just put up videos that are like three-minute clips of different kinds of things that you can do. Awesome. For- or thrivers. They're just click-ons and a lot of assets, like how to figure out what your kids' core asset surveys are. And you just can download a lot of things to just give you some ideas. And that's what you want to do. Well, thank you so much. I am so glad that you are here on earth and you've oh. always been exactly the right mom for your three kids. So thanks for sharing with everyone else. Thank you. It is always a joy. And I'm not going to write another book for this, but we are going to keep on talking. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I hope you feel reassured that even if you think your kid isn't a thriver right now, there are teachable skills. Military kids aren't that different than normal kids. Just because their parents said yes to the call of duty doesn't mean that resilience comes naturally. Everyone needs to be taught skills. 
you need probably more skills to help you thrive in this moment. And that's okay. Do it together. I think one of the best things we can do for our kids is show them that we're still a growth in process. You're still growing. And isn't that amazing for them to see? You are exactly the right mom for your kids. I am so glad you're here on earth. And thank you for kicking off and celebrating military kids with me all month in April, 2023. Have a great day. I hope it is just good enough.